Welcome back to another edition of NFL University, the show where we educate you on all things across the National Football League landscape. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. We've got plenty to get to today on this show. And of course, it's going to be centered around Aaron Rodgers and his new cleanse that I I don't know if it's all the trend, but I don't know about UKP and Justice is out today because... Maybe he he's struggling with his first day of the Pancha Karma cleanse. Um, but I don't know how, if you had ever heard of this before. I don't know how much digging you did into it yesterday. I spent a lot of time yesterday afternoon watching videos and, and trying <laughs> to figure out what this thing was. And like considering, should we do this as a show? Because... I'd be interested in doing it, not because it sounds like fun. It sounds absolutely awful, and it sounds like it's expensive, and I don't know if I want to spend money on it. But for the sake of the show, I would consider doing a Panchakarma cleanse. So, you know, for those of us, for those of you who don't know, Justice, diehard Packer fan, blindly follows whatever Rogers does. So he is on day two of the Panchakarma. Um, I don't know if you want to be miserable for how many days is it going to take? It's Think 12. About it. Yeah. A tw- you're just putting yourself through misery for 12 straight days to say, hey, I did what Aaron Rodgers did. No, no shot. We are going to do that um, for a split second, maybe. But to put ourselves through that for 12 days, not worth it. I, I, I think we would much rather take in solids instead of, you know, <laughs> butter. So just to, yeah, to highlight some of the things that, this cleanse that Aaron Rodgers is doing right now or just finished up. It's you have to go through three days of just eating like raw butter and you basically eat it until it makes you sick and it makes your body evacuate out of both sides. Uh, So you could cleanse your body of all the toxins, I suppose. And then it involves a lot of massages, which that part sounds nice, but then it also involves a lot of enemas and, also, like putting oil into your butt. Uh, I, I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know how all of that stuff works. Again, I'll give it a try. If we can get this thing sponsored at SB Nation or something like that, or get this thing funded by the company, I, I'm not above trying it. It just sounds like something that people with a lot of expendable income do to make themselves feel better. And there's also no scientific proof that says it actually makes you feel better. It's just something they tell themselves. Yeah, and that's that's the kicker here. There's, there's no proof anywhere. And just the thought of it sounds like an infomercial or just sounds like what, you know, people with a lot of money around the table said they did once upon a time. Nobody has ever taken the time to double check. And here we are. So yeah, again, this is as Aaron Rodgers as it gets, just with everything that he's gone through with everything that we've known for him to do this, this past season, starting with the Joe Rogan. And now we're here. It's just as fitting as it gets, man. I don't know. (laughs) I'm, I'm ready to stop pretending that Aaron Rodgers is either interesting or just entertaining, man. It's, it's boring to me. Do you, do you think so? 
Yeah, I'm at a point with him where I don't need to know anything else about him. Right. Like, you know, we spent years on Brady saying like, oh, he's so fake in the media and we don't get to see who he is because that's the Patriot way. They don't ever talk about anything and they're robots. And then Brady went to Tampa and we got to find out a little bit more about Tom Brady. Like he's got a really good sense of humor and and that's why players love him and he, he can have fun. And we even got to see Tom Brady actually like drunk. Uh, which was entertaining, at least. I don't need to know anything else about Aaron Rodgers' life. Like, if I'm him, let's just hang this thing up. We don't need to keep putting, I, I don't need to keep putting my life out there. I don't need to keep telling everybody what I'm choosing to go through in my personal life because, yeah, it, it it's not entertaining anymore. I, I'm over it. I, I just don't need to know anything else about him. Who Who's asking for this, by the way, is the real question. Nobody's really going out of their way. It seems like he's holding these press conferences or podcast appearances to, to talk about these things, but it doesn't, it doesn't really seem like anybody's going out of their way to find out what Aaron Rodgers has to say. So it all came about because he dropped this Instagram post in the middle of the night and, you know, referenced uh, his former relationship and, and all of his teammates and stuff that he's played with past, present, whatever with the green Bay Packers. And to me, and apparently he wasn't drunk because like when I got up the next morning and saw that, I was like, oh, that's just that's just a drunk post, like feel, feeling your friends and wanting to make sure everybody, you know, around you loves you. And I, I'm certainly guilty of that. I am a big when I occasionally get drunk, I like to text my friends and tell them like how great they are and, and how much I love them. That's what I thought Aaron Rodgers was doing. But no, job. he was just feeling fresh uh, off of all these enemas he's been dealing with lately. I, I just I agree with you. I'm kind of over it. But something that did come up yesterday was the Packers have reportedly had zero contract discussions with Devontae Adams since the season ended. I don't think that's that weird. Like we we were kind of talking about it like they should be talking to Devontae Adams. But, you know, it's as we're approaching all these offseason dates, like I don't think it's that crazy that they haven't talk to him that much about a long-term contract extension. I think obviously you should want to extend Devonte Adams because I think that's how you keep Aaron Rodgers. But if I'm the Packers and we can get into this a little bit with the franchise tag window now open in the NFL and it's open until March 8th, I would think that franchise tagging Devonte Adams is probably the route to go. I know they already have some money issues, but you just can't let Devonte Adams walk into free agency. I think to your point about the times, um, just the time frame, whether that's J.C. Jackson, for example, he was just talking about how the Patriots, they, they're not showing that they want him or uh, in 49 land, people are saying if Jimmy Garoppolo isn't moved, it's showing that, you know, they're not, they don't have faith in Trey Lance. The, the new league year doesn't start for almost another month. We have like three more weeks to go. So I don't think there's any rush for either any party, you know, to kind of speed things up. Like you guys know, you have an idea of what the market is or where you're going to start those contracts talks. So. Yeah, again, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Just as far as Adams goes, I know they are in a tough spot just for, just for their cap-wise. I know Zadarius Smith's going to cost a ton of money, so they have to make a couple of decisions. But it's Devonta Adams. Like, he's the best receiver of the game. Like, there's – what is a better alternative than Devonta Adams? Like, just pay him. So I, I imagine they're going to figure it out. But, um, again, because they haven't spoken on February 23rd doesn't mean a deal won't be in place, but, like, March 6th or whatever. Yeah, I don't have, and this is when it would be clutch for us to have justice on today's show. I don't oh, have the man. Packers like 
wide receiver depth chart right in front of me. I know they've got Alan Lazard. I think Amari Rogers is like a rookie who couldn't even get on the field last year. So like if they let Devontae Adams go, all of a sudden pass catcher is a huge problem for this football team. So it makes all the sense in the world to figure out how to keep him. I don't, I, I think that whether it's a long-term extension, whether it's a franchise tag, you just make sure you find a way to keep Devonte Adams in house and that'll keep Aaron Rodgers happy. Cause he didn't say it yesterday. He said, he's not retiring. He's not making a decision anytime soon or whatever. But if Devonte Adams walks, I feel like that changes the conversation completely for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, he, there's no way he would come back, right? Like, why would you come back? They they struggled to move the ball at times, especially when teams down the stretch started to double Devonta Adams. So, I mean, you, you remove him. You don't want Alan Lazard being your number one. This is the part where Justice convinces himself and us that MVS is a guy to resign and let Devonta Adams walk <laughs> and just let MVS get all of his targets because he's the guy with the upside. But, um, yeah, I'd be interested to see what other teams would – would do to, you know, potentially poach Devonta Adams. But again, um, yeah, if you're Rodgers, think about it. Think about the, the wide receiver room in Green Bay without Adams. I, I imagine he's going to want him back at all costs. Yeah, I'd be interested in seeing him hit the free agent market because I do think that he would – he's going to set the wide receiver market, like where, wherever he goes, I, I would imagine. And, you know, there's all kinds of rumors about – the Raiders because of his college uh, partnership with Derek Carr and they've always wanted to play together in the NFL and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, Devonte Adams isn't going to willingly accept a downgrade from Aaron Rodgers to Derek Carr. I would have to imagine like that, that just wouldn't make sense. I wonder if there's a potential and this is really going down, you know, podcast rabbit hole here, but let's say Adams gets franchise tagged. Rodgers ends up going to somewhere else, whatever. Raiders send their one, whatever it takes, you know, to acquire a player on a franchise tag. There you go. Now we just found a way for the franchise tag to happen. Rogers goes to another team, Carr, Adams, reunited. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I, I, I have been playing through the scenarios and yeah, I think it's going to have to be something like that. Like Aaron Rodgers just decides, I don't want to be here anymore. It, it is essentially, what it is, but it seems like the relationships there are, are better now than they were last off season. So we'll obviously continue to monitor Aaron Rodgers and all of his cleanses and, and you know, and weird Instagram posts throughout the entire off season. But the franchise tag window is officially open in the NFL. We just discussed Devonte Adams. I want to get into some of the other major names that are expected to be franchise tagged and. Uh, you mentioned J.C. Jackson, KP, and the New England Patriots kind of did something that goes against the Bill Belichick era last offseason when they went out and they spent a bunch of money. And J.C. Jackson had an elite season. like He was absolutely fantastic this year, and he's going to be expensive. He seems like one of the prime franchise tag candidates for the New England Patriots, but that would kind of go against what Bill Belichick has done in the past. You know, he gave... Stefan Gilmore, that big free agent contract uh, when he left the Buffalo Bills. But generally, Bill kind of lets these guys walk. He's not a, a guy that usually spends big on his guys that are getting ready to get free, free agency because he's like, eh, I can replace those dudes. I, I don't need them. Let them go somewhere else and, and not be as good. And then they'll just come back to New England in a couple of years. So JC Jackson, undrafted free agent, 
he he's just turned 26 in November, so he's still really young, has a bright future, all pro type of cornerback. And we're talking about that type of player just walking out of the door. That is crazy that the Patriots do business like this. And we're all just used to this. We're accustomed to this where um, we're kind of expecting it to happen. And we talked about it a little bit earlier. So JC Jackson, I think it was today when he was just mentioning how it doesn't feel like he doesn't feel wanted by New England. And maybe again, that's just based on the timing of this. We're in, you know, the dead zone in February. But man, if it, I get his market would be sky high. Like he's he's at the age, he stays healthy, ball production, he has interceptions all the time. That guy would get paid whatever. So even if he is franchised, I, I could see a team offering a first round pick and coming to get JC Jackson because he really has been that good. Yeah, he was straight up special last season. He he was fantastic. He was a cornerstone of that New England defense that really rebuilt itself in the offseason. And he was one of the key cogs in that secondary being so good last season. So I'd be interested to see if Belichick is still approaching this offseason the way that he did last offseason, which was like now that Brady's retired, especially because I think some of it last offseason was Brady winning a Super Bowl and Belichick saying, OK, I can't have this anymore. Like, I can't have these rebuild years. We got to just go for it. And now that Brady's retired, maybe Bill's like, okay, we could slow down a little bit. We got Mac. We can give him some time, try to develop him. We don't have the pressure of of Brady still winning rings on my uh, on my legacy. So maybe maybe they do let him walk. Maybe they do franchise tag him. I think they should franchise tag him personally because I think he's a fantastic player. Yeah, I don't I don't have the Patriots um, cap space. Up. I mean, I guess I could look it up, but. Just thinking about Mac Jones and you bringing up there, you know, just building around Mac Jones, maybe they let JC Jackson walk and sign a big time wide receiver or, you know, just bring in guys on the offensive side of the ball to help Mac Jones and, and kind of let Belichick coach instead of having the star players. But again, like JC Jackson, 26 year old cornerback who can match up with pretty much any wide receiver in the NFL. You don't just want to let those guys walk out of the door for nothing. But again, the trade off would be building or adding speed on the other side of the ball and making Mac Jones, you know, just making his life easier. And you mentioned Brown's wide receiver Jarvis Landry already, and he is expected to be a free agent. He is a franchise tag candidate as well. He was hurt last season. And apparently there's this narrative, which I didn't even really realize that he like misses a lot of games. And he tweeted <laughs> out that he, he came back too early from an injury and then wound up playing through it the entire season, which I don't think that's that uncommon in the NFL. Um, but you know, for me, as somebody who likes the Browns and wants the Browns to succeed, I don't think Jarvis Landry is exactly that kind of piece that's like going to put you over the top. I think Jarvis Landry is a fine player, but he's not like a game-changing wide receiver, and you're still going to be held back by Baker Mayfield as long as he is your quarterback. I just think this was the Browns year to put it together and it fell apart. And now it feels like that thing is probably not moving in the right direction. There's probably like three or four Browns fans who said Landry was injury prone and he took that and ran with it. <laughs> and acted like everybody feels that way. That's just kind of how the internet works. But I, I actually think Landry would be a nice complimentary piece. Obviously you don't want him to be like your one, a your Batman, but I mean, I think he makes for a great Robin and we should have seen that in Cleveland, but we never had a chance to. Um, for Baker reasons, but I I really think he'd be a nice addition in free agency for a team, and and I think that you know in another situation, in a better situation with a, a quarterback capable of hitting him, that he that he will be fine. And 
you know, shoot, a team like the 49ers, like he'd be he'd be loaded. Like he would that offense would be loaded with a guy like Jarvis Landry there. But I'm kind of interested to see how much he gets coming off an injury. And, you know, if, te- if teams feel like, you know, he'll still be able to separate and whatnot. But I like Jarvis Landry a lot. I think he, I think he's a good player. And I think he'd be able to help a a playoff team who needs, you know, like like the Packers, for example, a team who could use somebody to take the load off of Devontae Adams. Yeah. So I actually would love that fit for him. Um, I don't really see why it would make sense for the Browns to franchise tag him necessarily, because. I think he is a talented player. I think he can step in somewhere and have a big role in the offense. I just don't think it makes the Browns uh, any better today by making sure that they have Jarvis Landry for next season. It's just, I think that the quarterback situation again, and if they let him walk, like all of a sudden the pass catchers are real thin in Cleveland. Like you're talking about Donovan peoples Jones being your number one wide receiver going into next season. Um, Anthony Schwartz was a guy that they, they drafted this past year who ha- had some moments. Um, so I, I just don't think that it, it makes a ton of sense to commit like long-term big money to him for Cleveland or, or to necessarily franchise tag him. But I understand what he's saying. And, and Jarvis, I, I never thought you had injury. problems. <laughs> so that, that was not me. I promise. Our yeah. next. No, I was just going to say just real quick on Landry and the franchise tag. He, he's not a guy you franchise. And yeah, he again, he can be a really good complimentary piece to a playoff building team or a playoff contender. But that's not a guy you give like 16, 17 million dollars a year. Uh, those are the Stefan Diggs types, not the 30 year old Jarvis Landry's who, you know, is essentially just, you know, a high end slot receiver. Yeah, he's a, he's a chain mover. Like yeah. he, He's a chain mover for your team. He's a guy that when you need a big first down, you know, you can rely on a guy like Jarvis Landry. He's not a big play wide receiver. It's just not something he's ever been in his entire NFL career. Uh, another guy, Harold Landry for the Tennessee Titans. He's coming off a career high 12 sack season. This is interesting because the Titans kind of went all in last season. They gave Bud Dupree way too much money, gave Ryan Tannehill that contract extension, and now they're kind of cash strapped because they've got so much money put into their current roster. And, you know, Okay, they did get the number one overall seed in the AFC, but I don't think either of us looks at the Titans like this team is like a Super Bowl contender or anything at this exact moment. And they got to figure out what they're going to do with Julio Jones coming off of a down year. I think I don't know what Julio's got to do about that hamstring. I don't know if there's like an offseason surgery or something that he needs, but he's got to get that right because it's basically been two years of hamstring injuries for Julio Jones now. But Harold Landry is a big part of why that Tennessee Titans team wound up getting the number one overall seed where we were trying to figure out all season, like their offense isn't good without Derrick Henry, like their offense and AJ Brown's hurt. Julio Jones is hurt. Like their offense just can't put up points, but their defense was surprisingly good. And their pass rush, like those dudes up front were big physical, just menacing pass rushers who could get after the quarterback. And Harold Landry is a huge part of that. He is, he is a monster for the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, and, and so Harold Landry had a ton of sacks. And when you, I believe when you, I think he had what, 16, like something, a crazy number, 12, 16, something like that. When you have that many sacks, especially going into the free agency market, like your value is going to be through the roof. I think they should build around Jeffrey Simmons. I think that's the real guy, like the anchor of that defensive line. I mean, you, you mentioned Bud Dupree. They got 11 starts out of him and three sacks. So that was a failed experiment. For Landry, though, like six of his sacks were unblocked. 
So pretty much half of his production were unblocked. And a good chunk of the other ones were just cleanups and where he's like covered sacks. So I'd be a little weary of franchising Harold Landry. I know he's still young. Um, this is he's coming off his rookie contract, so he's he's still going to be 25 when the season starts. And again, he, yes, he had a productive season, but I, I'd be worried that it's fool's gold and more of just having a lot of other talent along the offensive line. He's playing on a really solid defense and having favorable matchups and being put in, you know, just situations, like I said, where he has a lot of unblocked sacks. So uh, I'd be a little leery of franchising Harold Landry. I'd want to see him do it, you know, again, like sort of a prove a year, if so, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think he's got to hit the market. Like, I, I, I just don't see how, how Tennessee can keep doing this and franchise tagging him or giving him a long-term extension when now they've got to eat that Bud Dupree contract and hope that, that, that he bounces back and they get something from him because it just didn't really happen this season. But I, again, I think they went all in this past season and it got them a first-round buy in the AFC playoffs, but inevitably they just weren't a good enough team to get the job done. And I think that's kind of where they are right now. They've still got to figure out a ton of things and they've got to figure out what to do with Ryan Tannehill really. Cause I know there's been, there's been the conversations of like moving Tannehill this off season, but he's got an expensive contract with a lot of money. So whoever's going to take on Ryan Tannehill, which I can't imagine there's that many suitors to take on that kind of money from Ryan Tannehill. So it seems like they're stuck with him. And even more of a reason why you wouldn't take a risk on Landry, just because you, you're, if you're going to be you know, stuck with Tannehill, you're going to want every possible penny to continue to build around him and even your, your team in general. Another player that I really like going into this offseason is Cincinnati Bengals safety Jesse Bates. Um, I think Jesse Bates is a fantastic player. He struggled at times this season for the Cincinnati defense, but he played really lights out in the playoffs and on their run to the Super Bowl and obviously Cincinnati is young and they've got that core that they want to build around. They've got to put a lot of money in the offensive line this off season. But if I were to tag like out of any of like the top guys outside of like Devonte Adams, I think Jesse Bates is a guy that I'd be like, it's whatever we got to do to keep that dude, whatever we got to do to keep that dude in our secondary. Cause I think our secondary gets downgraded quite a bit if we let him walk into free agency. So Jesse Bates is a guy who, again, comes up with big plays and comes up with those big plays in the most opportune times. So, like, at the end of games, like, when when the Bengals needed to stop, like, he was in a position to make a lot of plays. And that's kind of what he was like coming out of Wake Forest. I'm on the other side, though. I think a lot of his gambles don't pay off, and he kind of leaves his cornerback susceptible on the back end. So, a lot of times when just watching the Bengals, I don't think that I watched a game where he it didn't he didn't miss a tackle and it led to a big play. So I'm not, I'm not as high on Jesse Bates, and I wouldn't franchise tag him just knowing. And again, he's young. He's, there's no doubt he can get better. But I just I've I think I've seen enough of him where it's the missed tackles, it's the giving up big plays. So for every interception, highlight, pass breakup that you've seen from him, uh, there's going to be one or two more where he's just letting guys run freely behind him. So I think since he would should save that money and just continue to build around their pass rush and then just keep drafting safeties and hope that, you know, that they continue to find ball Hawks through the draft, go the cheap route. Yeah. I think it has to do with, you know, what they're going to be able to do along the offensive line too. And, right. you know, the safety tag next year is projected to be 13 and a half million dollars, which 
compared to some of these other franchise tags, it, it's a little bit more cost effective. Um, so I, I think there's ways you can kind of maneuver that depending on what they do with the offensive line. But if you're the Bengals, that's got to be number one priority. We figure out the offensive line and then we figure Protect out everything bro. else. Yeah, it, that that's even more – that's a, a way better point. So instead of, you know, if I was just thinking on the defense side of the ball, but instead of paying Jesse Bates $12 million a year, use that to pay two offensive linemen. You know, you, you fix your right tackle and your right guard spot with that $12 million, or pay a high-end – pay a high-end one, you know, all-pro, Pro Bowl-level type of player and get him in for the Bengals. That, that'd be way more important um, for Joe Burrow on your team. Yeah, and I think you kind of talked me into not franchise tag. Because <laughs> uh, I am always against the franchise tag for safeties. and it's It can come know, back to bite you, man. It's it, it's what Kansas City is going through with Tyron Matthew right now, and I guess we can we can get into these Chiefs players because we got a couple – that are probably going or well, a couple that are franchise tag candidates. Only one of them is going to get franchise tagged. But Tyron Matthew is, you know, 30 years old. Uh, I think he's an exceptional player. And the big knock on him when the Chiefs signed him to a long-term deal a few years ago was he struggled to stay healthy. And when we saw him play and he was healthy, he was always a fantastic football player. He was always a high impact player. Um but he could never stay on the field for a, a full season. And then he did that in Kansas city. He was able to stay healthy the entire time. He was able to win a championship. He was able to make multiple all pro teams. And I think that he is incredible. I think he's a fantastic teammate, but again, and you talked to me how to Jesse Bates kind of just franchise tagging a safety, I, I think is a big gamble, especially when it, it's a position that is usually really cost effective on the open market. And I think back to the chiefs extending Eric Berry long-term after that season he had, where he was like a, a defensive MVP candidate and Eric Berry is one of my favorite chiefs of all time, but that contract blew up in their faces. And I, I think that's the way the chiefs kind of look at this thing. Like they're like, we love you, Tyron. We love everything that you did. We love everything that you helped us achieve here. And you're going to be a guy that like, you know, we'll remember fondly forever here in Kansas city, but it's just football and it's a business and it's time for us to move on from this. Yeah. I think if so a few years ago, well, first of all, when they acquired him from the Texans, it seemed like people were thought that he was washed, you know, like he wasn't going to be the same guy that he was for Arizona. And then of course he stays healthy for three seasons now, right? Yeah. Um, three seasons with the chiefs and he's played at an incredibly high level they've gotten everything that they've wanted to out of the trade. And that's exactly what the point of this is, right? And now I feel like last year more than ever, we saw Honey Badger making more business decisions when it came to tackling, I guess is the, the best way to put it. And I, I just think that, you know, yeah, as you said, it's time to move on. Like He was a good player. There's no doubt about it, but something is off in that situation. And it, it seemed like it was starting to rub people the wrong way. And I don't know if that's just a social media thing, but, I just feel like they can go in a different direction. And again, it's it's about it's not about, you know, do you want to just pay Tyron Matthew? It's should we pay Tyron Matthew this amount of money or should we use that to continue to protect Patrick Mahomes or continue to maybe give him a wide receiver to throw the ball to? So, yeah, I feel like if you're just weighing your options on where the money should, where you should allocate those funds, you can convince yourself about two, three other positions over paying Tyron Matthew, who, again, if think about what they're getting out of Juan Thornhill. They could probably get that, you know, in the draft or in the free agency for cheap. And 
Yeah, it's it's a, also it's just about playing like the cost effective game. Like what what or what is going to give us the most bang for our dollar this offseason and on the free agent market or, or anything like that. And they traded a first round pick for Orlando Brown Jr. And he had his ups and downs and growing pains in his first year as a chief. Um, I don't look at Orlando Brown like he's, you know, like he's Trent Williams or like he's ever going to be that or anything like that. Cause there's just not very many people that are going to be that dude. And maybe he doesn't ever wind up being like one of the three best tackles in the NFL or something like that. But you traded a first round pick for him. You always knew you were going to have to pay him. And they are supposedly discussing a long-term deal before they decide whether or not they're going to franchise tag him. But he, they traded a, a, a high capital asset for Orlando Brown Jr. And it's because he's got to be in the long-term plans. Like Just like they had Eric Fisher before and before he suffered a serious injury, like Eric Fisher for a number one overall pick, he always got a bad rap in Kansas City. Like He was always solid. He was never the best tackle in football or anything like that, but Eric Fisher was always solid and you knew you could rely on him for the most part. And I think that's kind of how you have to look at Orlando Brown jr. Like he makes more sense and his tag value is going to be higher than Tyron Matthew, just because the left tackles are just more expensive, but that seems more cost effective than giving a franchise tag to Tyron Matthew at a safety position that I think you can always find on the open market. And to be clear, Orlando Brown is 25. So yes. yeah. you're you're investing in the future of your organization, your quarterback, who you just paid a trillion dollars to a couple summers ago. So um, are you going to pay an aging safety who, you know, you hope stays healthy, who you hope continues? Like, again, he's a fine player in coverage and he does a lot of smart things underneath. But uh, physicality is starting to wane a little bit on old Honey Badger and you know, Orlando Brown, 25, he's, you imagine he's only going to get better. The more he plays, the more he gets an understanding of what Patrick Mahomes wants to do. I think if anything, uh, we might've just seen the worst version of Orlando Brown with the Chiefs. So like, he's going to get better as a player. Yeah. I would, I would give him all the money. And like for a unit that's so kind of dependent on your chemistry together, like is the offensive line, like you got to remember they rebuilt that entire thing. And you know, Creed Humphrey at, at center, Trey Smith at guard. You had two ro- rookies, Joe Tooney coming over from New England. Like they rebuilt that entire offensive line. And I think it was probably 10, 12 weeks into the season before we saw like the best version of that. And so if you assume Orlando Brown, yes, he's 25 years old. And then you got two interior guys that look like they're going to be absolute studs for a long time. Then you bank on the chemistry of those dudes being able to work together and being able to take their game to another level. And that's why it makes more sense to franchise tag him over a guy like Tyron Matthew. Yeah. Continuity matters, man. And we don't talk about that enough, especially on the offensive line or, you know, just these positions that work in tandem or in unison. And uh, as you mentioned, it it took what two, three, four months for these guys to start gelling as a whole. So again, like we've probably seen the worst version of these guys playing together. So even more of a reason to give the player who is a young, uh, who's young and promising, who's worth a first round pick, give him a chance, man. Give him, give him some money. So let's take a quick timeout right here. And when we get back, we'll have a few more uh, potential franchise tag targets to discuss. And Tom Brady is making a Hollywood movie that we've got to get into. It's coming up next on NFL University. 
Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation. And we've got a few more players to get to in terms of franchise tag or, or whether or not the team should move on from them, let them hit the open market. I want to start with the Los Angeles Chargers wide receiver, Mike Williams. He's coming off of a career season, which saw you know 76 receptions, 1,100 yards, and he had nine touchdowns. So I'm curious how you feel about a player like Mike Williams, KP, because I, I like him. I think he's a talented wide receiver. He's had some injury problems early in his career and, you know, Justin Herbert just needs weapons. So it it seems like it would make sense to just keep weapons that have proven they can, they can put up numbers in the NFL. But I don't know if I view Mike Williams is, is a guy that like you have to keep is like a guy that, is definitively going to get better and and take a huge leap forward. If you wind up signing him to a long-term extension or franchise tagging him. Yeah, it's tough. So, you know, 27 and just coming off a season where he had over 1100 yards, nine touchdowns, you know, he's a ball winner down the field. you know, that's perfect for the NFL these days, a guy who can win one-on-one on on the outside. Um, But how much of that was Justin Herbert? How much of that was just Herbert putting the ball on the money where Williams had no choice to catch it. I feel like a lot of the highlights, if we were to just pull up a bunch of Mike Williams highlights, the ball is catching him. So I would, if I'm the Chargers, I'm using the money I would pay Mike Williams and investing in my defensive line. That way I can give the ball back to Herbert and actually get off the field on defense. So yeah, it it's tough just because these guys are talented and that there is value. They, they, they have value, but a lot of it, you know, when you, the cost and, what you have on the other side where, where that money could go elsewhere. Um, it's just tough to justify giving them that money, especially in this case where the Chargers have other needs. That's something that we talked about with the chargers too, is that they had a serious lack of speed this season on offense. Like they had a serious lack of big plays and Mike Williams is great downfield. Like when Justin Herbert puts it up, like he can go up and get it with, I think some of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Like he's really, really good at that stuff but they need more explosion. Like they need more guys who can legitimately take the top off the defense. Because as we saw, like when Justin Herbert has that look out, like it's, it's going to be another ball game for the chargers and they've got to fix that right side of their offensive line. They absolutely have to figure out what they're doing with their defensive line. Cause we saw their rush defense was just absolutely awful last season. So I think they've got too many holes right now to invest heavily in Mike Williams and a guy that you're not necessarily convinced that he's a legitimate, like superstar wide receiver or anything like that, but he is a very good NFL wide receiver who can contribute. Yeah. Like just think about it. Would you, if you're the chargers, would you rather play, pay Mike Williams $12 million or would you rather play MVS two, $3 million and then pay another defensive tackle who can help you right away? Um, the rest, the rest of the money are just, you know what I mean? How you can just pair these deals together. So I think I'm going to take the two for one if I'm the charges, as opposed to uh, Mike Williams, who yes, talented, but I feel like I can get the same production with, uh, with whoever I put out there with Justin freaking Herbert. Yeah. And it's a pretty deep wide receiver draft class. Like the chargers need to be looking at the chiefs and and like Tyreek Hill and being like, how do we get a guy like that with, (laughs) With Justin Herbert, I know Tyreek Hill's rare, but I'm I'm just saying like a speed guy who can just win for you downfield because Justin Herbert, like there's 
there's no limits to how far Justin Herbert can really throw the football downfield and, and make plays with his arm. So I want to see what that looks like when he's got a guy who can run like a four, two or a four, three or something like that. Uh, the next guy that I wanted to get into was Dallas Cowboys tight end Dalton Schultz. Mm. I was struggling to think about this KP, like who is a tight end who's hit the open market and gone on to be like, uh, like an elite tight end for, for another team. It's, I think it's Greg Olson. <laughs> like, cause tight ends are, are generally cheap compared to other positions, especially wide receiver these days. And so it seems like if you've got a truly elite tight end, like you always sign that dude to a long-term extension. And Dalton Schultz is a fine player, but he's only got one really productive year so far in the NFL. So if I'm the Cowboys, and especially them being cash-strapped, I, I would not be that interested in franchise tagging him or trying to work out a long-term deal with him because I, I just don't know that he's the kind of guy that can repeat what he did this past season. Just to answer your question, I can't think of anybody outside of, you know, who you named. Obviously, there, there are guys who were already established, like Tony Gonzalez, but that doesn't count because he was already good. So yeah. you don't get credit for that. But yeah, this is. And Martellus right. Bennett, maybe. I think Marte- Martellus ben- Bennett Martin and B- Greg Olson are the two that I could think of. But again, like Martellus was a super talented tight end. And in, to be fair to shows, like maybe it was just the offense, but he was an athletic guy. He was getting open down the field. Will he be as good? when he doesn't have, when he's not surrounded by Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, uh, Michael Gallup, and Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott with that offensive line, that's where you, what you have to weigh. And if you're Dallas, you would imagine with, after naming all those players I just named, any tight end that you put on there would be able to get open one-on-one. So yeah, I, I don't know how you pay a tight end when they have as many holes as they do um, just elsewhere, on, especially on the defense side of the ball. Yeah. I think he's a fine player, but he's got Austin Hooper written all over him. Like mm. one good year of production, let him hit free agency. Cause somebody will way overpay him. Like the Browns did with Austin Hooper. Like somebody will give Dalton Schultz a big contract. So if, if I'm Dalton Schultz, I'm like, yeah, don't franchise tag me. Please let me hit the open market. And let me go get that Austin Hooper deal. Cause I think that's what he could get. Um, uh, another tight end, the Dolphins, Mike Jasicki, is kind of in a similar boat. Mike Jasicki is actually trying to do uh, what we've seen like Jimmy Graham do in the past, like say, oh, I'm a wide receiver, not a tight end, because they him. line me up at wide receiver all the time to try to get some extra money. Because it seems like the Dolphins are going to franchise tag him. Uh, I don't think they're going to change his designation. I, I just don't see that happening. He's got an argument because he does line up as a wide receiver much more often than a tight end. I think that has to do with the fact that they just don't trust him to block very much. Right. But he is an athletic tight end who can make big plays down the field. And I think in the right offense, Mike Jacecki could be a lot more consistent than he's been probably with the Miami Dolphins. But it seems like they're going to tag him, and, and it's probably – it, it's probably the right move for the Dolphins because they've got some cap space, but and they've got a lot of other things they need to figure out. But if you're Mike McDaniel and you think like this guy could be my George Kittle or something like that, then you just do it. I was thinking it would make sense for both of those two just to swap teams because yeah. Schultz would probably excel in a Shanahan style of offense. And Jacecki, he's not going to have to block in Dallas. He's just going to be able to run down the seam and let Dak hit him with back shoulders. So uh, just those two swapping – uh, easy problem solved. We just helped you out, Dolphins and Cowboys. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that works too. I'm, I'm on board with that. Like, I, I think these guys could both be contributors, but it's just, again, like, there's just not very many guys that are 
Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. And, you know, Mark Andrews made the case this season that he needs to be paid. And I would assume that Baltimore is going to pay him. But like I was just saying, like, you just don't see superstar tight ends hit the free agency market very often because it's hard to replicate those guys. And so they wind up signing long term deals with those teams because it's one of the most cost effective positions in the NFL. Well, like most of these dudes are unicorns. It's like George Kittle, who's like a weight room champion, um, yeah. comes from like the Iowa wrestling background. So blocks like an offensive lineman, but runs. He actually told us on our podcast a couple of weeks ago that he could run a four, four or five right now. So like those guys aren't hitting the market for a reason. The Travis Kelsey's who moves like a wide receiver with and without the ball in his hands and catches like one as well. So again, like those guys don't come around often, so they don't hit the market. And I think it's important to understand just, the tight end group, like think about the position, the tight end position in the NFL right now. That if you you can't name more than like four or five that are you know actual elite, like high level guys that you would want to franchise or even consider franchising. So another reason why we really don't talk about this position much is just because um, yeah, there, there aren't many, <laughs> there aren't many of them. Another popular franchise tag candidate is New Orleans Saints safety Marcus Williams. We've already talked about this, uh, so maybe I know where it's going that you probably shouldn't franchise tag safeties in the Saints cap situation is just a dumpster fire. And so they've got to kind of rebuild this thing and try to shed cash as much as possible. But Marcus Williams is a pretty important cornerstone of that Dennis Allen defense that he's going to keep running there in New Orleans. And so I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out, because if he hits the open market, I think he is a really intriguing option for any team that's willing to pay up for him. Yeah, again, he's a 25-year-old safety who's coming off of a, a good career, like not just one season. He was pretty consistent with the Saints. He's always creating turnovers, always around the ball. And again, you said with with what Dennis Allen asked of him and asked the Saints to do on his defense, like Marcus Williams had a lot on his plate and he excelled. So with knowing the Saints cap situation, it's the same as every year. They don't have any, they don't have any money um, there. It just wouldn't make sense for them to franchise Marcus Williams unless he was getting like 20 intercepts. You would have to really talk yourself into uh, franchising him, knowing that what else do you, they have holes everywhere. Um, they don't have a freaking quarterback. So um, yeah, I, I don't think that they're going to franchise Marcus Williams, but again, back to your point, somebody is going to pay him a lot of money. And I think it's deservedly so, honestly. I think he's going to be one of the few players who does deserve uh, to get a little over what his market would suggest. They got to figure out how to cut Taysom Hill. They got to mm-hmm. figure out. I haven't looked at the like deep into the details of his contract, but it just feels like it's set up to cost them a lot of money to get rid of him. And so it just feels like their hands are tied with Taysom Hill and it's going to wind up costing them a a player, the caliber of like Marcus Williams, because Sean Payton, for whatever reason, kept paying Taysom Hill large amounts of money. Sean Payton laughs every time somebody brings up this (laughs) conversation. He's doing this on purpose. He loves this, man. Before we get to uh, Tom Brady's Hollywood debut, uh, we want to talk about the NFL combine for a second as the NFL finally backed off of these bubble restrictions that players and and agents obviously had a huge issue with. And I I don't blame them at the NFL combine that's coming up on March 1st in Indianapolis. They basically just backtracked on the entire thing and they're just like, okay, it's just going to be combine. It's normal. Now you can bring as many people as you want. You can bring your team and, and whatever. 
And I, I do think there's a larger conversation about what the NFL wants to do with the NFL combine moving forward, because this is the last year that it's going to be in Indianapolis. It's supposed to start jumping cities and moving around the way that the NFL draft does now. And, you know, the NFL draft has become this huge economically impactful event for whichever city winds up landing it that year. And that's what they're kind of hoping to do with the NFL combine. Like it's just another thing they can sell that can make money and that these cities can bid for. And so they're saying, well, what are we going to do if the players just stop showing up? Because the NFL combine doesn't serve the players any, in any way, really, in my opinion, like, it's good for them, for the teams and, and stuff to get in there and do their evaluations and interview them or whatever. But as far as, you know, running 40s and drills and stuff like that, we've seen in the past, like some of these elite caliber college players just don't do it because it's not going to make their draft stock go up any higher. It's only going to lower where they could possibly get drafted and cost them money. I think so. You brought up a good point about players just not showing up. Nick Saban could start inviting Alabama A&M prospects to his pro day, and then there would be no need for a combine because the thing about all these all these different schools could just hold their own regional combines, and we could make this the NFL combine absolutely. So it's just a, it's just a show. That's exactly what it is. It's a money maker, and it's a, it's an opportunity for a lot of you know the NFL decision makers to come together and have these discussions and whatnot. But why are we pretending like they're not having discussions elsewhere? Why do we pretend like it's only happening or it all begins at the combine? Uh, seems like a little bit of a farce, but again, uh, so I guess I understand where they're coming from. I know that it's all behind money. Like that's the only thing that anybody really cares about. And that's why we're talking about this, but um, we could make this situation a lot better. And I think maybe even, you know, regional combines is the way to go. I actually like that idea. Just make it all localized it could still make money for the local communities and stuff like that. And people would buy tickets to that. Uh, you know, sure. the chiefs, the chiefs sell tickets to training camp practice and they sell out every single year. I was going to say not just sell, like <laughs> these teams are selling out and probably quickly too. Yeah. So they should absolutely do that. And I used to be, I've never been to an NFL combine. I used to love it. Like, I'd be dude sitting at home on NFL network all day, just watching combine drills and like, and just like force feeding myself 40 times and stuff like that. I don't (laughs) do it as much anymore. I still think it'd be fun to go to an NFL combine, but yeah, that's, it's just the NFL getting more money and and seeing opportunity here and the players realizing that, Oh, we don't have to do this. Like if I'm a projected top 15 pick, I'm still going to go in the top 15 pick. If I don't go to the NFL combine, I'm just going to make you guys come to my pro day so I can work with the people that I want to work with. And I'm happy that the players are, are stood their ground here and they're getting the opportunity to, to, to kind of show why it's problematic and why all that stuff was totally unnecessary. So good for them. Players who didn't play football the year before are getting drafted in the top 15. I think they're, they're <laughs> yeah. still going to get drafted in the top 15 if they don't participate in a weekend combine. Yeah, it, it turns out that these guys, especially who are playing at Division One schools, got pretty good training teams in place. <laughs> they, can, they can stay in shape year, all year long like we saw with Jamar Chase. It was reported today by The Hollywood Reporter that Tom Brady, and I think I mentioned it on this podcast a while back when we were kind of speculating on whether or not Tom Brady is retiring or or, or if he was going to come back and play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or if he was going to try to go somewhere else. 
But Tom Brady is acting as well as producing a feature film called 80 for Brady. Uh, he's producing the film through his production company, 199 Productions. I think that's a, a joke about where he was drafted in the NFL draft. That's why he named his production company, 199 Productions. This sounds like a Lifetime movie. I don't know if you've ever watched the Lifetime channel. I just remember like growing up, my mom loved it. That's what this kind of feels like when you read the the description of the movie. It's four friends who are going on a journey to watch the 2017 Super Bowl so they can see their favorite player, Tom Brady, play in the Super Bowl. And then calamity ensues and they find themselves in ridiculous situations or something like that. This sounds like a made for television lifetime movie to me, but it's Tom Brady in his production company and he's putting a bunch of money into it. And Tom Brady is trying to make a big film. Not even three weeks after his retirement, we have a movie about Tom Brady directed by Tom Brady, which is also going to feature Tom Brady. <laughs> that's uh, that's where we're going here down this Brady retirement hole. So is this more of him just testing in the waters or is this like his heat? Is he coming out with a heat check and saying, hey, I, I want to see if this hits because of all the things that I'm sure Brady has, we talked about this before. He's probably has a long notebook of ideas to make about himself or um, things that he can come out about with the name brand Tom, Tom Brady. But I think in this case, like, why did he choose to go to the, go this direction? Why is he going to lifetime Avenue? That's, that's what I want to know. Like, why is this his angle? So I, I don't know where this is going to be released. Like, I don't know if it's actually a Lifetime movie. That's just what it makes me think that it is. Sure. Like, it, it seems like a made for television movie. And I don't. Did you see the American Underdog? I think the Kurt Warner movie. I didn't. I didn't watch it. I, I couldn't bring that. myself to watch I, it. I'm probably not going to make that one. <laughs> it actually got decent reviews, but I just couldn't bring myself to watch it. I was just like, there's no way. There's no way this movie's good. I refuse to watch it. And then. I refuse to watch the Kevin James, Sean Payton movie too. There's just no way. Going there I, I, I did see the screenshot on Twitter of like Sean Payton's got a cameo in that movie as a janitor. And he's just like wearing a, a terrible wig. And it's just clearly Sean Payton, like with a mop in his hand. Oh and I was just like, yeah, I don't ever need to see that in, in my entire life. I could, I could go the rest of my life without ever watching that movie. I feel like that's how I'm going to feel about all of this Tom Brady stuff. Cause He's going the LeBron James route and I'm retired now. I got a production company. I got all the money in the world. I'm just going to start making my own content because athletes know now, like you don't need the media. You don't need the brands. Like you are the brand. Yeah, you're the brand. You can sell yourself. And we see more and more athletes do that. And LeBron James was kind of one of the pioneers of this form of it, of like starting your own production company and like, I'm going to make I'm, I'm going to make my own movies. I'm going to make my own documentaries and podcasts and stuff like that. And so Brady's going that route. But Brady's just making stuff about himself. <laughs> like he's just making stuff about exclusively about himself. LeBron's actually out here making like real stuff. And Brady's just like jotting down ideas of like, oh, this happened one time during this season. Let's make a TV show about it. Let's make a movie about this. It's all about Tom Brady. So we have the sappy coming out hot in the first part. Is it going to evolve into like the Tom Brady, the competitor or like, again, like that's what I want to know. Like what, what direction is going to go? Because 
one thing we do know is that it's all going to be about Tom Brady, no matter what direction he goes in. And he made that clear just with this being his first project. So as long as he is solely in charge of it, like, and I haven't watched the, is it the man in the arena or I, I yeah, think it's like his, his docuseries again, no interest in watching it because it's just Tom Brady telling the story about everything. So it's everything from his perspective. It just feels like this is what he's going to keep doing. Like, if you're Tom Brady, like, I don't think he's after an Oscar or anything. Like, he's just trying to, like, he's trying to get to LeBron's level of, like, you know, LeBron made Space Jam 2. Tom Brady's, like, trying to be that level of, like, There's an audience for it. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, outside of Boston, like, what's the audience for all this Tom Brady content? Like, who <laughs> who is just churning through all of this? Because I feel like it's all going to be feel good stuff like this. Because Tom Brady's not a negative person. He doesn't want to paint anybody in a negative light. And so... There's never going to be like a dark retelling of the Tom Brady story. It's just going to be stuff like this. Is he worried about that? Is that why he's trying to get out ahead of it? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that that the goal, because again, like these projects are coming in hot and the season just ended this month, man. Yeah. Like he's been working on this. Like he's been working on all this stuff in the off season. He's got all these projects coming out. He's got movies coming out. Him and Gronk are for sure gonna do some type of like buddy cop movie or oh, something. That's in that's the works already. yeah, that's for sure coming. We know that. Like that's what he's just gonna he's just gonna do what Adam Sandler does with Netflix and, mm. and just he's just got his production company now. Oh, he's he's just gonna make a bunch of movies with all of his former teammates. So Edelman, Danny Amendola, like Wes Welker, everybody everybody who was ever like high on the Tom Brady list is just gonna be in all these productions that he's making. That's definitely going to happen now. 80 for Brady. If uh, you're interested in checking that out, I don't know when it's coming out. Uh, I don't know what channel it's going to be on or what streaming service it's going to be on. Tom Brady will let you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Tom Brady, I'm sure, will let us know from his Twitter account. But thank you guys for listening each and every week on NFL University. Please make sure you subscribe to everything that we're doing on the SB Nation NFL show. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple and Spotify. You can follow KP at KP underscore show. I'm Steven Serta. That's where you can find me. We'll talk to you guys next week.